Jeff here. Thanks for listening. Go to playvolutionhq.com slash ccbag or click the link in the show notes for the show's archives, ways to connect, ways to support the show, information about happy hour, and more. studio in the snuggery along the Gulf of Mexico with me from the wilds of Australia, Nicole Halton. How's, how's, uh, how's Nicole? How's Australia? Australia's wet. It's rainy. We've had hot, very, very hot weather. And now it's rainy and almost cold. Oh, that's like summer's confused. That's that, that doesn't sound like summer needs to get its shit together. Well, it does. And I feel like it did have its shit together in terms of having like a big heat wave. And uh-huh. then now it's just, yeah, completely flipped in the opposite direction, just in time for Christmas. It'll be like a rainy, cold Christmas. Oh, that sounds that sounds. I wanted a delightful. rainy, cold Christmas. I'd go overseas, go to the <laughs> Northern Hemisphere. You want a, you want a hot, sweaty Christmas. Um, yeah, that's right. Santa in his Hawaiian shirt. Yes. Funny so, story. Okay. The, the Hawaiian shirt got me. My mum and dad are currently on a cruise in uh, Cambodia and Vietnam and they'll be away for Christmas. And so my mum and I were out one day and we walked past this op shop, so like a thrift shop, and they had Christmas Hawaiian shirts for like a dollar and they had like Santa on surfboards and stuff. And so we bought one for my dad and I've insisted that he wear it on Christmas Day on the cruise. Like this is a very fancy cruise. I've insisted he wear it on Christmas Day on the cruise and I need to see photo proof. Will he follow through? I think he will. I think he will because the grandkids will hold into it as well. <laughs> we'll see. Sounds like, sounds like a delightful shirt. Um, so inspired EC, you recently, um, you you very recently uh moved offices. Uh what was mm. what was that like? I gotta I gotta get more details about the the misery of of moving. Um, maybe it was joyful, maybe it wasn't miserable. No, it wasn't joyful. Um <laughs> it was a really big process. It was a quick process. We weren't ready to move just yet, but then we had to move, and so it's it's a quick process and it's you don't realize how much stuff you've got until you try and move and I don't like stuff like at home I'm not a big fan of stuff and Mm -hmm. and yet the office was filled with stuff and so it was a good opportunity to get a bit of a clear out happening but there was still many hours of packing and moving and lifting and and I'm just tired thinking about it I'm done and there's there's always that stuff that you, eighty percent of your brain thinks I can get rid of this, but that other twenty percent is like, no, we we might need to keep this around. Yes, yes, there was a few boxes of that sort of stuff, and you think, do we really need this? Oh, I suppose we better keep it, and so you hang on to it until you move again, and then hopefully get rid of it that time. But 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's coming up right on a year now that we moved into the snuggery and I've got, I've got a closet full of that stuff that I decided, okay, it's good. If it, if, if it doesn't get touched for a year, then it's there's gone. probably no reason to keep it. And so yeah. I'm going to pull it out and look at it again and have Tasha look at it again. And then hopefully some and of it will go it away. And, and then some of it will probably get stuff back in the closet until, until next January when we when we review it again, I guess. <laughs> Until future Jeff can deal with it. Yeah, yeah. So I, I got to ask this about the uh, about your move. Um, you you and uh, and Tosh kind of founded the organization. You're kind of both co-founders. Was there was is there a big battle over who gets which office or something when you when you move? Is there is there like oh I want this one because what's that like? No, we are, we're sharing still at the moment. We are sharing offices at the moment. And we have talked about on our next move, maybe having separate offices, which would be a first. We've never had separate offices. We've always been, at, at times we've shared a desk. Like we've had an end of a desk each. Um, we used to share a big dining table and we had plants and stuff in the middle so that her crap would stay on one side because she's a lot <laughs> messier than I am. Um, and it's all useful crap and she has it very organized in her own brain but it doesn't work mm -hmm. for me um, and my neat stuff would be on the other side now we have separate desks but we do still share an office because we do like to connect and it's yeah it's nice you're kind of so, no like, there's been although tomorrow is the day so tomorrow after we're recording this is the day that we'll actually be in the new office for the first time together since moving in and we actually have to then set up our desk so we have to determine who gets to be near the window or near the wall oh, yeah. or whatever. See, so now how, how does messy. that negotiation go that's what i'm interested in i don't know who's gonna sometimes end up it's window. like a battle of wills other times mm -hmm. it's a i bags being near this like it's just whoever gets in first or whoever's there whoever's doing it um yeah we'll fight about it for sure but it's never serious hey I think you should come up with some sort of rotating schedule so that uh, every other week you switch and get the window desk. Maybe, maybe. Although, look, to be fair, it's not even a real window. It's like frosted glass, but it looks down into another office below, like where our, some of our staff are. Uh -huh. um, but it's like a spying window, so that's probably not too bad. I wouldn't mind being near that. Yeah. Uh, I can knock uh, on the window and yell at them. Hey, what are you doing? Get back yeah, to work. Yeah, yeah. Hey, get to work. Yeah, that's what yeah. that sounds. That sounds like you. Um, it sounds like an old school factory owner out of like Willy Wonka. Yeah, that's exactly what it sounds like. I can't wait till uh till we record next so we can we can hear who who got the window. Um, okay. <laughs> be a good good look. There are probably many listeners who won't sleep until until this is resolved for them so you'll have to do an update hey nicole i wanted to get into the the idea of of letting kids do stuff for themselves and i think this follows up last time we were together we talked about not interrupting and i think this is a good follow-up for that because um by not by interrupting less we automatically start letting kids do more things for themselves but I thought maybe we should have some conversation around around that topic. So, are you are you in favor? You got three human children that you've uh, you've raised uh, or are raising that are partially partially raised. Partially um, raised. What's your What's your relationship with doing things for them and letting them do it for themselves, and then them whining about not wanting to do it, and then making them do it? Those kind of 
things? What it's do you, been different what are you at different ages. So at different ages and different stages, it's definitely been different and it's different with different children. So my youngest has always wanted to do everything for herself. Um, she's never wanted to, anyone to do anything for her, which was always difficult when she was a toddler. Um, and there were some <laughs> things like, you know, getting into her car seat and, you know, a few other things that it's like, actually, I kind of need to do this for you or, you know, cutting up an apple or whatever. Um, but I've always been a big believer in, you know, letting them try things for themselves, try to do it first and letting them know I'm here if you need me to help, you know, and that was my strategy with her, particularly when um, she was a toddler and she'd get really frustrated because she wanted to do things for herself. She wanted to put her own shoes on or she wanted to, I don't know, make her own breakfast or whatever. And there was this part of me that's like, okay, I just don't think you quite have the skills for that yet. You don't have the dexterity or, you know, I just don't think that's quite going to happen yet. And so I'd want to do it for her. But then there's the other part that says you need to let them work out whether they can do it for themselves or not. And sometimes she surprised us. You know, I still remember when um, she was like, I don't know, probably about one and um, my dad was peeling some hard boiled eggs and she said, I do it. And he's like, oh, I don't know if that's a good idea. Like, I'm not sure how this is going to go. And she painstakingly peeled this hard-boiled egg just piece by piece and did it beautifully. And, you know, he was so surprised at the time. And he's like, I didn't think she'd be capable of that, you know, at this age. And I said, well, she's capable of a lot more than you think. But it's because we give her the chance. And, you know, I've noticed as they've gotten older that, you know, there are some things that they – do for themselves and now they pretty much do a lot of things for themselves but there's some things that they do that they do in a way that's different to what I would have done so packing their lunch boxes for example you know I used to pack these beautiful looking lunch boxes and they'd be you know filled with lovely things they're still filled with lovely things but sometimes they're a bit of a schmozzle when they pack them and but they've packed them themselves and I haven't had to do it and they're still eating the good food so it doesn't really matter yeah I think that I mean that is that is probably one of the reasons that we adults have a hard time backing off in those situations is because we see kids kids doing things that aren't as elegant or efficient as the way we would do or beautiful as the way we would do them because they yeah. they don't have the muscle control or the cognitive abilities or the practice that we've had so so of course their their ways of doing things are going to be different and often looked at as lesser than and so allowing that to happen can can kind of kind of make us uncomfortable i guess huh yeah it can be really hard and i think you know, that's why we often hold on to things for so long. I can remember um, when I was working in a service, you know, a lot of the parents would come in the morning and they'd do everything for their child. You know, they'd put their lunchbox in the fridge and they'd put their hat on the rack and then they'd put their sunscreen on and, you know, like they would just do everything for them. Yet while that parent was gone, the child could do everything for themselves. Yeah. The child was happy for the parent to do it. And there's something in that too, you know, like I was reading something the other day about, you know, if your love language is acts of service or whatever, you know, doing something for somebody is not necessarily a bad thing. But I also think too, we can, you know, send children the message that 
I don't think you're capable of doing this yourself or I don't think you're capable of doing it the right way, so I'll do it for you. And we need to probably let go of what the right way looks like. And it's funny, it's not child-related, but I can remember when our first baby was born and my husband, you know, just had never been around children really. Like he had younger siblings, but he was definitely not a baby person at all. Um, I don't think he'd held a baby or he might have held his younger brother. Um, But other than that, he hadn't held a baby. Like he just, and I thought, oh my gosh, how's he going to go? And, you know, I can remember someone saying to me, oh gosh, when they do nappy changes, they're hopeless, blah, blah, blah. Well, we had um, cloth nappies, but they were ones that had buttons and, you know, like they're kind of shaped like a disposable nappy, but with buttons. And Mm -hmm. he nailed it. Like he nailed all of that sort of stuff. And then when I went back to work, I went back like three months, uh, three months after he was born and um, it was a bit earlier than planned. And so that meant that Aaron stayed at home with the baby while I went to work and we kind of job shared and whatever. And everyone used to say, oh, but you know, what if he does this or what if he does that? And sometimes he'd bring him in um, to see me on my lunch break and I'd look at what he was dressed in, the baby. And, you know, I think, oh, my God, like, what the hell is he wearing? You've dressed him <laughs> in, you know, he's got his socks pulled up over his pants. or you know. And I think, oh, my gosh. But I had to let him do it for himself. You know, and this sounds like I'm talking about a child, but I was talking about my husband. And I think what happens with a lot of couples is, and particularly with mums, with dads, is we don't let dads step in and do the dadding because we think, oh, I know best because I'm the mum and so I'm going to show you how to do it and whatever. It's that same sort of thing. It's always thinking, and I think educators do the same thing, I know best, I know how to do that right and the child won't know how to do that. And I just think it's a mindset where you have to let go of that idea of perfection. You know, I had to let go of the fact that he would be in coordinated clothing because often the baby would not be in coordinated clothing. And I just like to let that go and go, okay, the days that I have him, he'll be coordinated. The days that his dad has him, he will not. And that's okay because he's loved and cared for, his nappy's been changed, etc. The outcome is still the same. And, and that baby is a young teenager now, right? He so is. yeah, so, so he survived. I mean, and and does he is he coordinated now? He's learned to dress himself. Well, sometimes he's coordinated. Sometimes I think, oh, I'm not so sure about that combination. <laughs> I just go, oh, okay, whatever. You're like, did your dad dress you? Um, <laughs> yes. So like, okay, it, okay, it's not a sure. husband thing. It's just a dude thing. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, I, I totally get this because, um, look, I, I talked for, for years on this podcast about the fact that I didn't know how to do laundry because Tasha's, I mean, first my mother did my laundry and then Tasha started doing yeah. my laundry. And so I never, I never got to do laundry and mostly because neither one of them felt that I would probably do it right if I was allowed to right. allowed to do it. And so when we moved into the snuggery here, um, look, Tosh has been taking care of me for a long time. And I've I finally can it two things happened. Um we we downsized and so I've got less, I don't have house things and yard things to take care of like I used to. So I've got more time to do other things. And and two, she's chilled out a little bit. Um, and so for the last year, I've been doing all of the laundry that's not hers. Um, <laughs> so sheets and towels and my stuff and dog stuff and, and that kind of stuff, stuff she, stuff she cares about, she still does, but she's, she's let me it's do the other stuff. stuff. And 
and the the snuggery hasn't caught on fire and I haven't ruined the washer or the dryer and um I don't fold I, look I don't fold as well as she does but she's okay. she she doesn't look as close and um she's just happy that it's getting done and it's not her so she's she's lowered the standard a little bit kind of like we could do with kids and yeah. I I feel like a grown-up boy now um because I'm <laughs> I I feel like a real helper boy because I'm I'm you know washing laundry. It's funny you say that though, and that is what happens to kids when we give them a bit of responsibility. Sure. We give them an opportunity to step in and do things. They do usually rise to that challenge, and they'll they'll take it on. Now, after a while, at times they might go. Oh, do I have to do that again? We implemented a system at home and because we found we were trying to have different jobs and it was all really hard to keep track of who was doing what. And, you know, I was getting really overwhelmed with feeling like I was doing everything. And so we implemented a system. We've got three kids. And so we've got a laundry assistant, a kitchen assistant, and a general assistant. And then we rotate. So each week someone has a turn being a different assistant. And then there's different tasks, which we worked out together. You know, these are the tasks and it might be, feeding the dog, it might be watering the plants, it might be unpacking the dishwasher, folding the washing or whatever. And like you say, we fold the washing, it might not look as neat as it would when I fold it, but that's sure. okay because it's still, the end result is the same. It gets shoved into a drawer. <laughs> like uh -huh. yeah. you know, when, it, when it all boils down to it, it still ends up in the same place and we still end up wearing it and washing it again and life goes on. And I think when you lower the, the expectations a little bit you know children are far more capable than you believe that they are and you know and I like to think that it's setting them up for being capable adults you know I like to think that at some point my 13 year old knows how to do the washing now and so when he is he's not going to take till Jeff's age to need <laughs> to learn how to do washing <laughs> he already knows in my defense, I I pretty much understood the technicalities of the process <laughs> ahead of time because it's not a really complicated process. I just wasn't allowed it's to not. do it. Um, but no, the, I think the competence is 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 a, a real big thing here because when we 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 let kids or adults husbands do things for themselves we they they walk away with this feeling of i'm competent and capable whether it's me doing laundry yeah. or your young one helping put dinner together it it leaves with this yeah. feeling of of i can do this thing and when we are constantly doing all of the things for the kids we're we're not only making our lives more stressful whether we're caregivers or parents yeah. Um, we're, we're taking away the opportunity for them to have that competent and capable feeling. Yeah. And so and, and that's it. You do, you rob them of that, you know, that opportunity to, to learn a new skill or to feel more capable. And, you know, it's, it is, it's essential that they kind of get the opportunity to practice it. And it mightn't always go to plan and it might take a few goes before they get it right or, you know, they might need an occasional reminder or a demonstration of how to do it. And, you know, but that process is important. Yeah, yeah. And so we we kind of step back. We 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 adjust our expectations to be more developmentally and individually appropriate. We know what this person at 
this developmental level with this temperament can manage. And, and then we, we also allow for varying techniques because not only may they not do it the, to the, to the level I would do it, but they might also go about doing it a different way. Mm. And, and that's okay because even if that way isn't as efficient or, or whatever as the way I would do it, the way you learn to be efficient or quick at things is to, to try all the ways that don't work and, and fail at them a little bit. And then you, you kind of stumble on the, the quote unquote right way, the efficient way to do things. Um, I start thinking about kids putting on, getting their own shoes on uh, when I start thinking about this because they will they will fiddle and fail and it'll take forever. And it's so much quicker if we just rush in and do it for them. Mm-hmm. And then they figure it out. By the time they start high school, most human children can get their, I mean, if they're neurotypical, they can probably get their shoes yeah. on by themselves at the beginning of the day, mostly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. I think, you know, it's, as you kind of just touched on them, we rush in and do it for them because we can see it's taking too long or whatever. And that's where we need to step back and go, okay, how does not only my attitude or my standards or whatever play into it, but how can I kind of shape my day or, you know, like we talked in the last um, episode we recorded about, you know, routines and scheduling and, you know, that kind of thing. But it might mean, so for, I know for me, when my youngest wanted to put her car, like she needed to climb into the car seat herself, put the straps on, you know, get it ready, and I'd just click it in together. Now, that took an extra couple of minutes. If I didn't allow that extra couple of minutes and I was in a rush and I just tried to put her in the seat, she'd then end up doing the whole stiff as a board trick and, you know, we'd spend half an hour then trying to get her in the seatbelt if I allowed that couple of minutes, she'd happily climb in, climb up into the seat, put her straps in, we'd do that up. Now, some people will go, oh, well, you're just pandering to that. Nope, I'm just buffering in a little bit of extra time to give that child what she needs. And what that child needed and still needs is power and control. And yeah. they can't have it over everything in their life, particularly when they're a toddler. They just don't get it over the vast majority of what they do in their life. So if I can give it, and all it takes is for me to buffer in a little bit of extra time, then why wouldn't I do that? And it's the same even now with cooking dinner. Um, my 13-year-old often says, I'll cook dinner. And I'm like, oh, I just don't have time for you to cook dinner tonight because we've got to get to tennis or to netball or, you know, whatever. Something's happening. I, I, there's not enough time because for him, if he cooks dinner, it might take three times as long because it takes longer to read the instructions and to, you know, work out that, oh, I needed to have the oven preheating or, you know, I missed that at the start of the recipe or whatever. So the negotiation there is, well, it might be better if you do it on this night because we have a lot more time. And if you start at this time, it'll give you more time so that we actually are eating dinner at a reasonable hour, not at midnight. You know, like it's factoring in those sorts of things to give children the best opportunity to have success when they do things for themselves yeah yeah um i think yeah i think that makes a lot of a lot of sense making those making those i I mean they're almost micro adjustments to 
your your process or your yeah. flow to accommodate letting them letting them do those things you know uh whether it's switching nights or or getting to the car a couple minutes earlier because you know what's going to in the long run save you time with uh with the whole seatbelt thing i think a, another another challenge here when we think think about letting kids do stuff for themselves is when it's appropriate to let them start doing things for the for the first time because I've I've interacted with early learning programs out there that that don't put scissors in the hands of young children until they're like four, and to yeah. me that feels a couple years too too late. But um, and I, I guess it goes back to the uh, the boiled the hard boiled egg in your in your yeah. one year old. Um, when is the right time for these things? And I think most of the time it's probably earlier than we might think it is yeah I think so and I think it's and it will vary depending on different children as well and it's not about going okay well great I'll just chuck a whole tin of scissors out on the table in my you know one-year-old room and walk away and hope for the best it's about how will I show a child what we do with these you know, because I'm not putting them out as a stabbing implement. I'm putting them out as something you can utilize. What's the purpose? What's the intention? Mm-hmm. I'll demonstrate that. I'll show you what we do with it. And then they can have a practice with it. It's about choosing the right sort of materials so that, you know, it's I'm not setting you up to fail. Um, I know for us at our Timbernook program, um, we do, you know, a lot of kind of risky play things. And one of them is whittling. But when we start whittling with children, we start with a potato peeler and a stick you know and we get them to get a soft stick something that's a bit green so you know it's a bit easier to whittle so they start Mm -hmm. to have success first off rather than trying to start with a knife and you know a hard piece of wood and before you know it they've sliced off a finger you're starting with something that's more developmentally appropriate and gives them that kind of step up and I think we sometimes forget to do that with other things you know like we forget that children might need that little scaffolding you know it's scaffolding and kind of stepping you up towards being able to do this thing it's the same kind of analogy you know you don't just put children in a car and think okay great you can drive now you know it's like you've got to do prep work before that like there's things that you do before they get in the car and just drive out on the main road you know (laughs) it's like I know for me it was learn to drive in a back street in a quiet area at six o'clock in the morning when there's nobody around because that's much safer than taking you out in highway traffic yeah yeah it's it's all about about tiptoeing in there and and i think like you said i think a big part of this is is the the relationships because we really need to know the kids back in back in my family child care days um we there were there were some one year olds that we let play with the uh, the the little Lego, not the Duplos, but the the real Legos, because we knew these were kids that are pretty much done mouthing things for the most part, and they're really interested in this. And then we weren't we weren't dumping the one year old in in a vat of of Lego and walking away. It was kind of a a one on one interaction. There they were being well supervised, and there were there were other kids exactly the same age who were not 
physiologically or cognitively <laughs> ready for that because they would end up with with the tiny little the smallest what little lego they eyes? would end up with those in their nose and they're in their ear and and coming out in their diaper a couple a couple days later um <laughs> after they pass through that digestive system and so it's really about about knowing knowing the children and what they're what they're ready for um and then and then trusting them enough to to let them try these things and do things for themselves yeah yeah i think once we kind of you know it's not about going okay well now you do everything for yourself and i walk away and i have no part in it it's that it's it's like a bit of a dance like it's you know a little bit of a step forward and then sometimes we take a step back and then i get involved and then i'm not involved and you know it's that little bit of negotiation until all of a sudden you go oh actually they've got it you know they've got it and they yeah. do it themselves all the time now and it's no longer a thing but then you move on to another thing you know i feel like there's always another thing um but yeah it's like the more you do it the better they get at learning those new things and doing those things for themselves and you know being confident to kind of step up and yeah go at something yeah exactly the way I mean, it, it's it's a whole baby step thing. You do this little thing for yeah. yourself, and then the next thing that's a little bit more challenging, you do for yourself, and then you you build this habit of being able to do things for yourself, and then you you feel capable and competent out in the world. And and yeah. look, if we're if if our goal of parenting or working with young children is to help send them out into the world. I would I would love it if we were sending humans out into the world that were feeling more capable and competent, even at the age of five, when they go off into into more formal schooling, than than kids who who can't and don't feel like they can do things for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, we fixed the world. Good for there us. There we go. Um, <laughs> Just another day. Yeah. Hey, listeners. Um, this has been the Child Care Bar and Girl podcast, the world's longest running and most prolific early learning podcast that wants you to do it, whatever it might be for yourself, if you want to, because the other side of this is doing things for yourself and letting kids do things for themselves doesn't mean there's not a not a place for cooperation and, yeah. and doing things collaboratively. Doing kind things for others either. Yeah. I mean... This would have been a real shit episode if uh, if I was here by myself <laughs> without Nicole, um, because Nicole always makes everything brighter and more enjoyable. Back Aww. soon, bye bye. Bye. <laughs> Look, I said a nice thing there, and then you and then talk right over it. <laughs> I'll, I'll edit that out. Don't be too nice. <laughs> This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh.